player or you're new to practicing solo, you've got your game plan. Now what? First, know that you're not alone. It's the fastest growing segment of the legal profession. Welcome to New Solo here on the Legal Talk Network, where you'll learn about practicing law solo. Thanks for tuning in to our program today. Before we get started, we want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS 70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. Welcome to New Solo on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today to our podcast. I'm Attorney Kyle Gelcher. I'm a solo practitioner from Springfield, Massachusetts. I practice a variety of areas of law, including civil litigation, uh, business law, entertainment law, intellectual property, and consumer law. On New Solo, we're going to talk about all the things you may not have learned in law school if you're a young lawyer and all of the things you may be facing if you've left a larger firm and now you're starting out on your own uh, or with, uh, with colleagues in a smaller firm. Uh, today on New Solo, we will talk about uh, business etiquette and we're going to talk about resources for new lawyers. Joining me today is Donna Gerson. Uh, Donna is the author of several books on legal career issues, including Choosing Small, Choosing Smart, Building Career Connections, and The Modern Rules of Business Etiquette. Uh, having spent many years counseling law students and graduates, working with legal employers, and visiting law schools nationwide, Donna understands the demands facing law students and current hiring trends and practices. Welcome to New Solo, Donna. Thank you, Kyle. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, let's dive right into things. Um, many solos have an online presence, both personally and professionally. What are some common mistakes that new lawyers are making with their online websites and profiles? Um, that's a great question. I want to kind of break it down into two parts. First, about websites, and then about these social media uh, profiles. Now, based on my experience interviewing lawyers over the past decade and reporting on the profession, and speaking to law students around the United States, I have a unique perspective drawing from those lawyers who engage in the hiring process at small, mid-sized, and large law firms. Uh, when it comes to social media, there are probably two principles that should guide lawyers and law students in their decision-making process, and those two principles are discretion and good judgment. Whether you're looking for a job or seeking to attract clients, you need to convey discretion and good judgment at all times. Now, you may be tempted to distinguish yourself in the marketplace with a shocking PR campaign or something that really pushes the envelope, but I would urge you to err on the side of discretion and good judgment in all of your dealings online because what goes on the web lives on the web basically forever. So when it comes to websites, keep in mind the following 
four tips that I have. You know, and some of these are really obvious, but they're worth repeating. One is have a good domain name that's simple and to the point. Um, two, own your domain name and also hire a web designer. Invest in that tech expertise to help you. You know, even if you have a small website, these don't have to be hundreds of pages, but a web presence where people can find you, you want it to be well-designed, well-ordered. And then three, follow all of the applicable ethics and advertising rules for your jurisdiction. Um, for example, in most jurisdictions, Using the words winning or best, anything that suggests a result is off limits. Um, also use correct language to notify those who are finding your website that the information they're accessing is not legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. And then four, you want to stay updated. So if you're going to post information on your website, you want to update on a regular basis. And this is where having a web designer helping you can really be um, worth the money because you want to keep adding information that's updated and relevant because it's a go-to place for not only clients but for potential clients. Um, and I wanted to just suggest because I always like to refer out my questions to other experts. There's a wonderful lawyer and PR expert named Gina Faria Rubel. She's the author of Everyday Public Relations for Lawyers, and her website is just her last name, F-U-R-I-A-R-U-B-E-L.com. She's an expert in social media issues. I have heard her speak, um, and she's my go-to person, so I'd, I'd also suggest you look there. Now, Regarding social media, such as Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, among others, the same principles of discretion and good judgment apply. So if you're a job seeker, a job changer, or someone who's trying to attract clients, know, for example, that employers are definitely Googling you. I can attest to this because I ask employers this all the time. In addition, Clients and potential clients are Googling you. This means that you need to keep your web presence squeaky clean, not only from a business perspective, but as an officer of the court. So this means a couple of things, and I'll just give you three takeaways. One is photos need to be discreet. The days of having the vacation photos, the swimsuit photos, the boozy party photos are out. You really need to cut back on that completely. Your commentary um, on social media sites needs to be measured. No more references to great dates, crappy dates, binge drinking, bad breakups, and the like. Um, no comments about your employers or your clients. No mean-spirited comments generally. And I know this sounds really boring, but if you want to maintain a professional presence on the web, it's really important that you have the discretion to do this. Um, and finally, what I want to close with is this idea that the point here um, is not a universe of no, but it's about maximizing opportunities for you, not to foreclose them. And you're foreclosing opportunities for yourself if you insist on oversharing on the web. Now, to follow up that question a bit, if you do discover material on the web that is either potentially offensive or it's embarrassing, what can you do to remedy such a situation? Well, the first piece of advice I would give listeners is to Google yourself at least quarterly to see what's being written about you. You can also set Google alerts or the equivalent on other search engines 
to make sure that you are seeing information that is published about you on the web on a regular basis. So definitely do that and scan. And don't wait to hear from colleagues or or clients like, well, what is this about you being arrested or whatever. Um, If you find negative or inaccurate information about yourself, you can hire a service to help de-optimize negative content. Um, And, you know, one company that I'm very familiar with is reputation.com. Um, it was founded by Michael Furtick, who's a uh, Harvard Law School graduate, and he's an online reputation manager. These sorts of services are hired to help de-optimize bad information and try, in, in some circumstances, to remove bad information. But the danger of the Internet that, that people forget about all the time is that it really lives on, in many cases, forever. It is archived. It's on the Wayback Machine and the like. So one of the best ways that you can help yourself is not, by not putting uh, information out there in the first place, but upon discovering it, deal with it quickly. If a rating website does have a negative posting in regards to your professional services, should you respond? And if so, uh, how should you respond? Well, that's, a, that's a good question. I think the first thing to do is take a step back, look at it. Um, I would consult with somebody you, you trust. Um, perhaps reach out to something like an organization such as reputation.com and assess the situation. I would be wary about going directly after somebody, um, especially if you don't know them, because it could, like, exacerbate the situation. So I would say you have to kind of look at it on a case-by-case basis, but the most important thing is that you are aware that there is something out there. What email address should a new lawyer choose to convey professionalism? Oh, well, you want to choose an email address that conveys discretion and good judgment. And this is, I'm going to be harping on this probably. It can be uh, your name, like your first name, last name, or uh, attorney, uh, you know, like attorney Gerson, or a name that suggests your practice area, such as uh, phillydualawyer at aol.com. Those are all those are all good options, and you want to find something that works for you. But what you don't want to do is choose something that is a little pushing the envelope, such as hotlawyerchick at yahoo.com does not convey professionalism, good judgment, or discretion. Um, and the point here is that you want to be remembered for your professionalism intact, not your way out personality. Um, it doesn't serve your client. And let's be clear here that your job as a lawyer is all about client service. It's, it's not about you. So save the wild and crazy side of yourself for after business hours, but in the service of your client base, you want to convey that level of professionalism at all times. What are your thoughts on sending private or confidential information via email? Well, you know, email is the way we do business now, but it's not the only means of communication, and we've lost track of that because everyone just thinks automatically email, email. There's, there's also the telephone, there are printed letters, and there are conversations uh, in person. So you want to be able to sort of use that toolbox of communication tools uh, in an effective way that works for you. Now, sensitive documents are sent via email all the time. But you have to keep in mind that emails can be misdirected in error. For instance, you hit the wrong address button and and your autofill puts in the wrong name. 
or the recipient of the sensitive document decides to send it to a third party. So once it's an email, you really, it's the Wild West. Um, So you want to keep in mind that depending on what the document is, um, that some of it should might be sent by email. Some of it should be sent by printed out and mailed, um, and you have to make a good decision that way. In addition, you want to remember that everything you write relative to your work, whether it's email or print, but especially you know email, is discoverable in litigation. Therefore, you want to think really hard before you write and send messages that say things such as. I'm not sure we have enough facts to win this case, or this case is a dog. You know, a lot of times we're writing to our colleagues, we're writing to whomever, and we start to spout about a case or a client, telling them what we think our chances of winning are. Um, And when things go south, that information can be discoverable. So you have to really use a great deal of discretion in what you write. Now, it's different. You can pick up the phone or you can have a one-on-one conversation with someone and say, I'm concerned that we don't have enough factual information to build this case. Now, that's way better than sending an email. So with that in mind, I would, I would advise listeners in the following ways. First, when it comes to email, think before you write and definitely you know, think before you press the send button. If you have something sensitive or negative to say, email might not be the best vehicle for that communication. It may be the case that you ought to pick up the phone or visit in in person. And also keep in mind that one of the great limiting factors of email is that it lacks nuance and warmth. You can't tell when someone is joking, teasing, just being a creep, having a bad day. You just don't know. And misunderstandings can escalate very quickly, especially when you're dealing with opposing counsel. And that's why alternative means of communication are so important. Um, If you feel like emails are spiraling downward, pick up the phone. Uh, You know, meet someone for coffee in person, but you want to diffuse the situation before it becomes a disaster. If something is, secondly, if something is really confidential, Consider sending it via snail mail or personal messenger. And, and three, assume that email will be shared, so be careful what you say. And by the way, on the subject of communications and lawyers, here's a good rule of thumb. You know, think before you speak, whether it's an email or in person. You know, I, I take Amtrak a great deal between New York and Philadelphia and Washington, D.C., and in, invariably... I'm on a train with a bunch of lawyers and accountants, especially if you take the morning train and the evening train back. I can't tell you how many times I hear lawyers talking about cases and naming clients and how many times I've heard two associates who are sitting together and just tearing apart different law firms and naming names while you're sitting in the next row. So I would say use self-control and think before you start writing and speaking because it will really help you in the long run and the short run. Well, we need to take a, a short break. When we return, more with Donna Gerson.
Want to stay in touch with the Legal Talk Network and get our shows automatically? RSS provides home delivery. You don't have to remember where to click. The good stuff comes right to you automatically and free. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and hit the RSS button at the top of the page. It says our podcast feeds. Now you'll be all set. If you like listening to new solo, you might also like the unbillable hour on LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at LegalTalkNetwork.com. You never have enough friends or followers, right? Check out Legal Talk Network on Facebook and Twitter, LinkedIn too. Welcome back to New Solo on the Legal Talk Network. Today we're joined by Donna Gerson. She's career service partner for attorneyjobs.com. Welcome back, Donna. Thanks, Kyle. Uh, let's get back into it. Is there a proper way to introduce yourself to someone on the internet? For you know, for example, if you want to co- make a contact on LinkedIn uh, to somebody that you don't know. You know, LinkedIn can be really wonderful, and I've heard from lawyers that it actually does work to reach out to people via the system. So the first, you know, the first piece of advice would be de- definitely learn LinkedIn, get on LinkedIn, know how it works, and make an effort to create um, a presence there. I probably spend about five minutes every morning sort of scanning it. I try really hard to post on there, and it works. Um, you know, if you follow the directions on LinkedIn for how to make a connection through someone who knows somebody, it definitely um, has yielded benefits, and I would say use that. Now, another way that you can connect in with somebody on the web is by asking someone you know to help introduce you just by regular email. And I do this all the time for people, um, and it has been done for me where somebody says, you know, they copy in uh, somebody who wants to be introduced, and I'll say, Donna, you need to meet so-and-so. I'm copying her here. Here's what you have in common, and I think you guys ought to talk. And then they kind of get out of the picture. And if and if you're doing your job as a good networker, you pick up on it right away and say, yeah, let's talk. And it just happened to me last week with somebody, and I made a fabulous connection with a lawyer in Chicago. So I definitely encourage you to use LinkedIn, but also to use just regular email, you know, correspondence introductions. Many new lawyers have uh, smartphones, whether they're solos or they're working in a big firm. What are some BlackBerry or iPhone do's and don'ts? Um, oh, there are so many. And, you know, it's probably an overused joke at this point to talk about the CrackBerry. But uh, you know, people are addicted to their their uh, personal computing devices and telephones. And you have to be as a lawyer nowadays because we're, we're a client service business. We are a 24-7 profession. And you need to check on a fairly regular basis. But you also have to have parameters. Um, so here are some ideas that I have based on uh, my vast experience dealing with a lot of lawyers. First, uh, you know, when you're meeting with lawyers or in a client meeting, don't check your, your BlackBerry or iPhone absentmindedly. And I think we've all gotten into this habit of we can't take a moment of boredom or downtime in our lives. Um, and so we're just constantly checking it to check it. I try to make parameters for myself where um, I won't check it during, you know, family meals. I won't check it when I'm in transit somewhere because I figure driving and, and texting is really a bad idea, and we know that. So 
So try to create parameters for yourself with the understanding that when you're in the middle of a deal or in litigation, you have to be available, but if it takes five extra minutes to get there, really take it. Um, The other rule that I have for Blackberries uh, and other handheld devices is you have to use proper punctuation when replying. Um, A lot of people feel this misplaced sense of informality because the screen's little and when you're with when you're writing to friends or family it's really common to abbreviate everything in writing code but not in the workplace you want to make sure that your correspondence is is uh, very clear and you know it's okay with blackberry um, communications that if you're not available at that moment to write back promptly and say, can we talk at 9 p.m.? Or, you know, received message, um, I want to, you, know, you want to acknowledge that. When's a good time for us to talk? And try to find a time. Is there a proper way to network at a social function? Uh, books have been written about this. Um, there are so many um, do's and don'ts for social functions that I, you know, and I write about this extensively. I'll, I'm going to give you four good ones. Um, and also some some other resources. You know, the the biggest mistake I think that lawyers make is they travel in a pack, and this is especially true, like, with newer associates. You know, you go to a bar association event, and you're supposedly there to meet people, but what you do is you sort of hang with your crowd. You sit with your crowd. You do everything, and you haven't met a single new person. So you want to try to break away. Um I think it's a huge mistake to show up at any social event or anywhere, frankly, without having business cards. Um, I think that you want to throw a few in your wallet, a few in your pocket, and have those available. Um, I think that for social events, attending without a goal can be a big mistake because you want to go with a plan. Even if it's a, you know, it doesn't have to be a conquer the universe plan. It has to be a, I'm showing up at this bar association event and I need to meet two labor and employment lawyers or, you know, one family law lawyer and one lawyer in general practice. But if you don't go with a set of, like, goals in mind that are concrete, you're just going to, you know, socialize, drink, and eat some food. Um, And I guess the the fourth piece of advice that I give to uh, anyone attending uh, social events is that alcohol and networking don't mix well. Um, You have to know yourself. And while I'm not a teetotaler in in any sense of the word, I do advise people to um, consume alcohol wisely at these events because it not only lowers your inhibitions, but you'll, you'll slip up and say and do dumb things that you're going to regret later. Uh, what are some common etiquette mistakes new lawyers are making with clients? Um, I think that some common etiquette mistakes deal with the substance of conversations um, and not replying or being um, or responding in an immediate way. So one of the most important things to remember with clients, because we're a client-based and client-centered profession, is that the client is king and you need to respond directly, whether you have good news, bad news, or complicated news to convey. I also think that in socializing environments or in in discussion environments with either clients or networking contacts, it's really common to make mistakes about um, certain topics of conversation that you probably don't want to talk about. And those are generally uh, politics, and this comes with some nuance to it, too. I don't want to say we never talk about politics ever because I think that makes for a very uh, boring and, and, um, and 
not a very thoughtful society, but in terms of dealing with clients, you probably don't want to engage in a lot of combative discussions about politics or religion or um, age or anything that would be considered, um, you know, just difficult and not on topic. And lastly, what is the best piece of advice you have ever received? Oh, I think, you know, and it's changed over time, but I think the best piece of advice that, that I have ever received is don't take everything so personally. It's not all about you. Um, I think that especially as newer lawyers, and especially if we're, we're young and new to the profession, we tend to personalize things a great deal. And there are a lot of times when you should just shrug it off and say, yeah, so what, and get back to work. Well, that about does it for this edition of New Solo. Remember, you can find all of our shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also subscribe to this program through iTunes. A very special thanks to my guest, Donna Gerson. Thank you for joining me today. Donna, if someone wants to find more information on today's topic, how can they reach you? Oh, you can find me on the web at www.DonnaGerson.com. And, of course, you can contact me directly at Kyle at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We're out of time. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Firm Manager from LexisNexis. You can find out more about Firm Manager at MyFirmManager.com backslash L-T-N. Join us next time for another episode of New Solo here on the Legal Talk Network. Have a great day, everyone. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to New Solo Today. Hope you'll listen to next month's edition with attorney Kyle Gelcher right here on the Legal Talk Network. And a reminder to check out Firm Manager at MyFirmManager.com forward slash LTN. It's a business solution for lawyers created by lawyers from LexisNexis. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.